Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Poet Warrior King, which is about the life of David. We're learning some particularly interesting leadership lessons from David because he was the um, biggest and what we, what we point to as probably the most important picture, prophetic picture or symbol or type of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the greater son of David, Lion of the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem, same as David. And so we see a lot of similarities. Now, let me just say this. No type or a prophetic picture is perfect because we're looking at a human who is representing one who is yet to come, an imperfect representation of the one who is perfect, who is coming. Okay. Now, we know that he's already come. Uh, Jesus is seated. He is reigning on the throne, uh, sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. And so this morning, as we uh, embark into this new journey, last Sunday we talked about Saul dying and David, uh, Jonathan dying and David grieving those. And so we're really beginning a new journey in which we're embarking today to see David find his place on the throne. Uh, he is not going to uh, be scrapping or promoting or advertising or marketing his way into that position of authority because David knows something very important. I don't want to give away a principle that I'm going to give you just as soon as we get into this. But I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, one more time. Uh, the title of the message today is called Join Up in Judah. Look at your neighbor and say, Join Up. Join up. Kind of reminds me of the history of uh, the, the push toward um, uh, uh, joining the service in enlisting in the army in World War II. Uh, and the response and some of the advertisement, we're in the army now. And so we're starting to see something new happening. Uh, the, the men of Judah are going to come to David, and they're going to join up with David first. And that's an important principle that we're going to grasp this morning. As we begin, uh, our text for the series, the whole series, which is actually going to come in, in 24 messages. We did eight last year, and then eight this um, April and May, and then we'll finish eight more in October, November, and wrap up this life of David because there's so much going on in David's life and we don't want to miss the high points. Actually, it could probably take a whole year to really do it right. But look at one of the screens, if you would, and let's read this together. The Bible says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. That's been our text uh, throughout all this series in order to help us uh, put some parameters around where David began. He was a shepherd boy. And God used the natural training and experience that he had of shepherding sheep to actually shepherd the people of Israel. Because it's a natural principle that becomes a spiritual lesson in reality. This morning, I'm going to read for you. This is our message text for today, and I'm going old school. I've got a black ink on white paper copy of the Holy Bible today. So this ought to be a special message. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, so church the way we used to do it. Anyway, um, after, this, after this, David inquired of the Lord. Everybody say, David inquired. David. Read with me. After this, David inquired of the Lord... Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. Everybody say Hebron. All right, now just listen. I didn't put the rest of this on the screens, but I want you to get the text. It's just six more verses, so listen. So David went up there, and his two wives also. 
Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him. So the men that are with David are going up with David. That's important. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. Everybody say lived. Verse 4, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So there's some separation of the tribes. Israel is not united. It's kind of like the political situation right now. Uh, between even in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party and in electing a, a new official to lead, an executive official to lead our government. Is anybody going to be able to unite the parties? And then when we do, will the one that gets in there be able to unite America? So that's the issue that David is staring in the face right now. It says, When they told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, verse 5, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty. Everybody say loyalty. This loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Verse 6. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. How many of you know there's a blessing in obedience? God will bless when you do the right thing. The right thing still brings a reward. Somebody say amen. It says, Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Last verse. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Let's bow our hearts together, please, this morning for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we stand before you today, not in our own merit or strength, but it's only because of your grace that you have freely given to us. Thank you today for the beautiful exchange. You took our sin. You gave us your righteousness. You were bruised and beaten so that we might be healed. You were rejected so that we might be accepted. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful exchange. Thank you that you call us into places where our faith can stand strong, but everything in the physical realm and our emotions can be falling apart. But God, we thank you that you walk onto the water with us. We ask you today in the name of Jesus that you open this word. I cry out to you, O God, and I ask you for clarity. Help me, Lord, to to give to the degree out of this that you would lead me by your spirit today because, Lord, you know this thing has exploded on the inside of me this week. And I cry out to you right now, Lord, for open ears and perception, Lord, for seeing eyes and understanding. Lord, I thank you today that, Holy Spirit, you're the teacher, that you lead and guide us. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, 1 John 2 says, we don't need that any man should teach us, but the anointing, the Holy Spirit will teach us himself. And God, we cry out to you, do that today. Be the voice within my voice. I ask in Jesus' name, we'll be careful to give you the praise. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. One thing today, one thing, God builds only with loyal covenant keepers. Say it with me. God builds only with loyal covenant keepers. Now, that might strike you a little strange this morning because we all have been covenant breakers. I wanted to preempt this, and I don't want to chase a rabbit too far, but I want to say that God forgives covenant breakers. But if God ever builds with you, it'll be because you've learned to walk with Him on that water and trust in faith, and faith will stand, and you don't you, 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 you don't turn back. You don't invalidate a commitment that you've made. You don't 
become faithless. You don't become unfaithful in terms of walking with the Lord. Let me say this to you. If you're ever going to build a family, you have to have a spouse that you know is faithful, that is loyal, that is a covenant keeper. Anybody can have babies. Uh, if we've got young ones here this morning, ask mom and dad about where babies come from. Pastor Mike doesn't have time to do that today and doesn't even want to touch that. <laughs> but there's a spiritual principle in the house of the Lord as well. If there's an unfaithfulness, then you, there can't be a trust in order to be able to grow up babies in the house of God. And if, if you're going to have a family that lasts, anybody can start a house, anybody can start a marriage, anybody can start a family and have babies, do the physiological process of, uh, of actually birthing a child. But whether or not you actually finish what you've started and raise a child and release him or her into the destiny to which God has called them and provide them with the backdrop of, the, of an example of what it means to stand tall and strong through thick and thin, come hell or high water, no matter what you feel like it, no matter how inconvenient it is, unless you have done that, let me just say this to you, then we're really no different than the rest of the world. God only builds with loyal covenant keepers. He will forgive covenant breakers. But guess what? You're going to have to learn how to walk in trust and you're going to have to get God's trust back before He pours out the kind of blessing that we're looking at to see happen in the Delta. So today, God builds only with loyal covenant keepers. What does that mean? What is the standard to which God sets before us? What is God calling us upward to? First of all, I want you to see... What this means today, and I left my iPad. Where is it? I'm out of my mind, okay? Uh, Y'all pray for me. It's been a little bit of a physical struggle, uh, kind of a sweating right now and heart racing kind of a thing, and I don't think it's just excitement over this message. Uh, I think there's a little bit of spiritual warfare, to tell you the truth, in bringing this because this is critical to where we're headed as a congregation. Somebody say amen. Uh, Hebron. What are we talking about with Hebron? I want to give you uh, a couple of substantial building blocks in what Hebron is. Everybody say Hebron. First of all, there's a history to it. There is a patriarchal connection. Abraham and Sarah put their tent there and loved the place of Hebron. Uh, they ended up being buried there. Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel and Leah are all buried there. So Hebron uh, is very significant in terms of the fathers of the faith. When we speak of the patriarchs, they are those that we are mentioning when we talk about the covenant, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the patriarchs, okay? All the promises that God made to the patriarchs, Romans 15 says, that are, they're all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Secondly, this morning, I want you to understand the translation of this word Hebron. You can go back, if you would, to me, for me, if you would, and just put Hebron back up there, and I want you to see it in front of you. You can almost see Hebrew. Okay, uh, the, 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 the idea of, of the one who is joined to God is in this concept of Hebron. It's a very special city. It becomes David's capital city before he's anointed king over all of Israel and he takes Jerusalem back. Hebron is the location where he is first anointed as king. And so his anointing that came by Samuel when he was 17, 13 years later, come on somebody, how many of you know sometimes it takes time for the promise of God to get fulfilled? 
and it's like the old gospel song said, he may not be there when you want him, but he's always right on time. And sometimes God's, matter of fact, most of the time, God's timing is different than mine or yours is. Somebody, are you, are you hearing me this morning? And so we have to wait. We have to not just sit down and be lazy, but actively wait on the Lord. And so when we look at Hebron, now you can go back to translation. It means league. And I'd like you to take some notes this morning. Every time you come to the house of God, you ought to, like they used to say uh, at youth camp years ago, if you come, come on young people, every time you come, you ought to bring with, you ought to have something to write with, something to write on, and a holy Bible. Everybody say, something to write with, something to write on, and a holy Bible. And guess what? We provide all three for you. You got, a, you got notes there to write on. There's a pen in your chair to write with. And look up here. The scripture's here. The holy Bible is here. Translation, it means a league. How many of you have ever joined a league before? A bowling league, a, a softball league, a, 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 a soccer league, a tournament league of some kind. It means confederation. It means an alliance. Everybody's not in the league. You, you, you have to be a member of the league. There are requirements of what it means to be a participant and have fellowship and enjoy the communion of the league or the confederation or the alliance that has been brought together because the alliance is not just some loose, everybody shows up, but it's a very specific agreement. One very solid, famous Hebrew scholar defined this, or he etymologically described this as the binding friendship place. Say that with me. The binding friendship place. So Hebron is very important because something is going to dramatically change in the way uh, that David has been conducting his life. He's no longer running from Saul because Saul's dead. The Bible says the Lord killed him. How many of you know if you'll just let God handle your enemies, he'll take care of them? You don't have to do it. You don't have to get blood on your hands. And, and if you can step back and do what Jesus did and pray for those who, just, who have despitefully used you or betrayed you or wounded you or hurt you or lied to you or said things to you that you know that were said, how many of you know God can discipline and he'll deal with those that need to be dealt with? Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. The binding friendship place, the root means to join to bind. Hebron is a picture of joining and binding and coming together in alliance, in a league, in a confederation, the binding friendship place. The principle, the one overarching idea in the principle that we gather here from Hebron, you can't run from it, is this idea of covenant. Everybody say covenant. And finally, the geography that I want you to see. The geography about this is up. You're going to have to climb up into the mountains. And these are more than just Crowley's Ridge type hills. They're, they're not mountains like the Rockies. They're not mountains like the Alps. But they're more than just little rolling hills. And so there's some inconvenience to it. And the very difference that we see between where men first began to join David and Adullam was that it had incredible accessibility. It was out here in the middle of a plain which when David was hiding from Saul, he could look out of the mouth of a number of those caves and actually see the valley of Elah where he, by his own hand, and a, and a sling and a stone, took down the champion of the Philistines. And so he's thinking, in this running from Saul, man, you know, if I'd have just left that alone and hadn't done that, maybe Saul wouldn't be after me. There are times, I'm sure, David probably second-guessed himself. 
And as a leader, as a pastor, as, as a business owner, as a parent, as a mom, as a dad, anything that you ever do that's going to push you out onto the area where your feet may fail and probably, as Aaron said this morning, will fail a few times, uh, it, 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 there's always an opportunity to second-guess yourself. And one of the worst things is to have people around you that always second-guess you because you're doing enough of that on your own. And you got to have somebody that's putting some faith and some encouragement and, and stirring you up. And, and when you don't feel like you have it, you got to be like David did in 1 Samuel 30 where you learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. And so I want you to see this morning that Adullam was accessible and all of those that were in distress and in debt and discontent came to David in Adullam because it was easy to get to. And, and, I, and I believe that this is interesting because when we first come to Christ, it, there is nothing. It's just Jesus has already paid the price. It's just a free gift by grace and all I have to do is reach out in faith and it's easily accessible. But if I'm going to grow in God after that, come on, somebody, you're already ahead of me. You know what I'm talking about. You're going to have to go up in covenant with God. You're going to have to go and join yourself and renew your mind and quit thinking the way you used to think and start living in a new kind of way and quit operating in the status quo. And it's not so easily accessible. If, if you're, if you're going to go to the place and you're going to anoint David as king over your life, I'm talking about Jesus this morning. If you're going to see him in lordship and you're going to, in everything, you're going to lay down your life for him in order for him to be lifted up and to be lord over your family and your home and your finances, then that means you're going to have to think differently about every one of those areas. You can't keep thinking how you used to think about any of those things. Hebron is difficult to get to. It's not easily accessible out in an open plain. As a matter of fact, there's sometimes when you will go in a path that is only the width of the size of one man and it's going to inconvenience you to get up into that place of covenant. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Seven things. Help me, Holy Spirit. Because I've got a whole lot more than I can do here in 15 minutes. And so I'm just going to go as far as I can. If we don't finish it today, we'll have number two of this join up in Judah next Sunday. God has called us to advance the kingdom. To advance the kingdom in the delta means we have to fully know that we are people of Judah, that we are to arise in our praise, not just in Sunday morning singing and robust voices and lifting of our hands and clapping of our hands and maybe a nice little once-in-a-while spirit-filled kind of jig we might do when we sense the presence of God but it means living a life of worship, living a lifestyle of praise and everything that we do seven days a week, 24-7, 365. Don't shout me down, but I'm preaching real good right now. Advancing the kingdom, number one, means a godly leader must always be dependent upon God. A godly leader must always be dependent upon God. I know some of you think, why is it that no matter how differently I pray every Sunday with, with a few different words, there is an element of what I say that's always the same. And that's not for your benefit. It's because I need to hear myself say it. God, I need you more than I ever have before. Because I don't ever want to get dependent. Uh, I don't ever want to get independent from God and depend on a gift or a strength or an ability to be able to teach or move a crowd in any kind of way. I want the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do and I cannot do. And I'm totally dependent upon Him to do that. And notice the first thing that happens when David finishes grieving Saul and Jonathan's death. He doesn't run out and go, okay, it's time for me to run down to the palace in Jerusalem and take over. 
He says, waiting on God. He inquires of the Lord, what should I do? How many of you know, when, when it looks like it's your opportunity to step in in the flesh and take your next step and just take over, how many of you know that's not the will of God? You need to back up and pray. Prayer is what's brought you to where you are right now. You don't lose that awareness and that dependence upon prayer and seeking the face of God ever at any point along the journey, and it will keep you safe. Somebody say amen. amen. David inquired of the Lord. I cannot stress upon you the importance of the, uh, enough of seeking God. He knew one thing. He knew that promotion comes from God. He knew that at this point he did not do anything to pull Saul down from the throne and he knew that if God's intention was to put him on it that he would not have to vaunt himself. He would not have to lift himself up. He would not have to promote or hire a Madison Avenue marketing firm to create a new image for him in order to be accepted by the people of Israel to be the new king of Israel. He didn't do anything about it in the flesh because he knew that promotion comes from the Lord. As a matter of fact, one of his psalms says in Psalm 75, Lift not up your aggressive horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck and insolent arrogance. Verse 6, Psalm 75. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south come promotion and lifting up. Interestingly enough, the obvious direction, the conspicuously left out direction is the north. Because the Bible says God dwells in the sides of the north. Zion is the beautiful city, beautiful for situation the city of the great king on the sides of the north, the Bible says. And so what, what it's saying to us is there's not a direction in the hemisphere, north in terms of south, west, east, any of those directions, but direction comes from God, where God dwells. I'm sorry, promotion. Everybody say promotion. If God puts you over, how many of you know, there ain't nobody that can tear you down and put you under. When God gets ready to show you to the world... I, 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 I want to I stop and just tell you here, in, in the stuff that's happened in our children's lives, it is just absolutely honest to God, blown my mind. It is just purely the favor of the Lord. And, and if I really told you everything I could, you would think that I was just pure bragging. But I, I, I want to tell you what it means that I'm so thankful to God because of the promotion that the, the Lord has brought. When folks have fought against it, folks didn't like it, folks were jealous and I want to tell you, it just blows my mind. Literally right now as a 28-year-old, my son is on the top three list of salesmen of trucking companies across the whole nation of the United States of America. Everybody. He gets four to five offers to come work for them. Every week they call him. Abby's a little student at Belmont University just going through the motions, going to class and in, her, in school, and all of a sudden she hasn't put up any kind of singing videos ever, ever on Instagram, and she just all of a sudden puts up a 15-second clip by something that she stayed a week later, two years ago, or a year and a half ago, rather, at the end of the semester after her sophomore year, and she and Luke Levinson sang this song called Smoke, and it's gone like crazy. And then she sang with Clark Beckham, and then Beth Moore called, and, and Atlantic and Epic and Capitol Records are all still in pursuit in terms of what's going to work out the best deal. She flies to Norfolk, Virginia this week to sing for Beth Moore on this weekend, and immediately from Norfolk flies to New York City because David Lay, a Grammy, 15 Grammy award-winning producer who has produced for people like Herbie Hancock in the jazz industry and for Itzhak Perelman, the, the violinist and Joshua Bell, the cellist in jazz and classical music, is bring, he's on the board of the Kennedy Center, bringing her to New York City. 
She's going to sing in a couple of places. He's taking care of her, feeding her, you know, giving her a tour of New York City, trying to get her to go the jazz direction, wanting her to sing jazz. Guys, do you know all this stuff that's happening? I, I couldn't have had anything to do with this because I don't have the connections. I don't know how to do it. Abby didn't try. How many of you know when the favor of the Lord is on your life, there ain't nothing that can hide you? And there ain't nobody that can fight you. They can try. They can try to hinder. They can say stuff about you and they can tell others on you. But how many of you know when God decides to put you over, there ain't nobody that can keep you under? Come on, somebody. It blows my mind. And when you know that promotion comes from the Lord, you don't have to do any of that stuff because God's just going to show up and show out for you. Are you getting anything out of this? Number two, God is calling us together and upward. The Bible says, so David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam and Abigail. Verse 3 says, and David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. Now what I want you to see is this literally a picture of Jesus who was raised from death to life and he ascended. And the Bible says, when he ascended, we, when he was raised, we were raised with him. We ascend, when he ascended, we, were, we ascended with him. And the scripture says, let me read it to you. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 6. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and he raised us up with him and he made us sit together with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many of you know when, you were, when he was raised up, you were raised up with him? When he ascended, you ascended with him. When he sat down in the throne, you were seated in the throne with him right now. You just don't act like you know it sometimes. Hallelujah. You can't be a solo act and be a kingdom person that lasts. Why? Because we're in this together. God is calling us together and he's calling us upward. And upward is going to cost us something. Number three, are you getting anything out of this? Number three, we are joined to the fathers of the faith. This is a history principle. Even when God does a new thing, it is connected and tied to that which he's already done. We are joined to the patriarchs that are buried in Hebron. We're in league and confederation. We're in alliance. It is the binding friendship place because Abraham now is my brother and Sarah is my sister. And Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Rachel and Leah... They're, they're those that are in my spiritual heritage and in my family. We are called to abide in the vine of historic Christianity and to understand what covenant means. If you've ever heard of the history of Africa with the missionaries and the writer David Livingston, uh, Livingston and Stanley. Stanley and Livingston is usually the way that you'll hear this and you can Google this. 1840, David Livingston landed in Africa. The one who is credited with discovering Victoria Falls and writes about the amazing resources and the beauty of Africa. And he and, and Stanley actually join up about 1871 and Stanley finds him on an expedition. And, and the amount of understanding that we have gleaned from all of those tribes of Africa gives us a picture of what actually began in the Hebrew nation in Egypt with the shedding of the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the houses in which they were living in Goshen when God delivered them from Egypt out of the blood, the water, and the spirit. And there had been this covenant-making concept that had sort of moved through all of the tribes of Africa. 
Because every time you cut a covenant, it's, it's, you use the word cut with it because it literally symbolizes, uh, it, when we talk about it spiritually now, it was not just a symbol, but it was actually, you see what I've got here? That looks pretty serious, doesn't it? Uh, this was my dad's pocket knife. That's a heavy pocket, I'm telling you, that the thing was in. And they would gather not with a piece of steel like this, more than likely a sharp flinty rock, and two people in mutual agreement would cut a covenant. Usually they were tribal representatives that stood in the place of, as a kind of a federal head, over two tribes that had previously been warring. And so the sharp flinty rock is taken, and they literally cut a slip into their hands, and they bleed so that they're standing before, one before his people and the other before his people, and they both have right hands that are bleeding. And they walk to the middle, and with the blood dripping off their hands, they shake that hand and take that blood and actually take hold of the hand all the way up to the forearm. And that symbol of the mingling of blood is the picture of two becoming one. Two tribes becoming one nation. The, men of two, the blood of two men mingling and coming together and saying, the weaknesses that I have, your strengths I now call on to cover them. And the strengths that I have, I now sacrificially give to cover the weaknesses that you're calling on out of me to cover you. And it's a binding agreement for the protection and the sharing of resources and for the betterment of the whole together. And this idea of covenant is carried through. It literally is the picture of God cutting a covenant with man and shedding his blood and extending the hand of fellowship and smearing that blood down your arm and taking you in and you becoming one and unified with the Father himself. And as these two tribes do that, they stand and they swear an oath. They make promises in the presence of all of those that are witnesses to them. And the oaths are declarations of a set of ethics. We will live according to this standard and we will be in loyalty. We will be in agreement. We will be in friendship. We will be joined. We will have a confederation. And if I bless you as long as I bless you, I will be blessed. But if I curse you, when I do, I will be cursed. I will reap the fruit of the seeds that I sow. And if you bless me, as long as you bless me, you will reap the fruit of blessing and you will be blessed. But when you curse me, you will reap the fruit of being cursed. It sounds just like the Abrahamic covenant, doesn't it? God says, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I will curse them that curse you. If you can just sit back and let God take care of it, he can smack the enemy around pretty good. But remember, the enemy is not the person, the flesh and blood you're wrestling down. It's the enemy is Satan. Come on, somebody. Quit thinking faces. Got to think how the enemy attempts to try to divide and separate. All right, now, now that we understand covenant, let's move number four quickly. God is joining us in alliance and binding us in covenant. Look at this. God is joining us in alliance and binding us in covenant. Verse four, and the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. What is this about? How does this apply to me? This is all about recognizing the lordship of Jesus through our lives of worship and praise, making him king in every aspect of our lives. See, it's one thing to be savior. You can make him savior and you can just kind of hang out on the fringes. But when he's lord, you're right up in the middle of stuff. He's, he's the center of everything of your life. The charge that Jesus gave the disciples, the la one of the last things he said Matthew 28, verse 19, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, 
teaching them to obey. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded them. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is promising us that if we will make disciples, if we will, let me tell you what this is. I'm not just called to make Christians. I'm not even called to make believers. I'm called to raise up leaders, disciples for Jesus Christ. That's what this church is about. And so this morning, we're raising the bar. We're raising the standard. We're saying, come on together. Let's go up. Everybody say, go up. We've got to join up in Judah. Verse, next verse. When they told David it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to them. And he basically said, you've done the right thing. You've shown loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. Let me just say this. A real man of covenant can recognize and discern when somebody else is loyal and they're walking in covenant. And anybody who's going to accomplish anything for the kingdom of God has to have people that he can build with or that she can build with. I'm talking business principles. I'm talking a family. You can't have a marriage that lasts if you don't trust the person you're laying next to and wake up with the next morning. Come on, it's not just about, it's not just about shacking up. It's not just about combining your checking accounts. Come on, it's about making the decision that you're going to love each other when you don't feel like it. It's about making the decision that you're going to walk and be faithful when everything available becomes to you, comes available to you, whether it is some Fabio-looking dude for you ladies or it is some man, PYT, some young pretty thing that you think you're going to trade in what you've got for a newer model. Don't shout me down now. I want you to recognize God is joining us in alliance and binding us in covenant. This thing is God-joined. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says it is God who sets the members in the body in particular as it pleases Him. The Bible says, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased Him. And I just want to tell you this. This is why we don't push for joining membership drives. Because if if we're really honest, I think most of the American church has this thing so wompy-jawed, so messed up where all you have to do is just basically walk down the front and just move your membership letter from one location to another because you got ticked off at the Sunday school superintendent or the pastor walked by you and ignored you one Sunday morning and you got mad. And guess what? You don't join this. Yep, that's what I said. You don't join this. You recognize that God has joined you to this. Because God's understanding of covenant is deeper than just, oh, I really like that. I think I'm going to go hang with them for a while. Because some people's definition of loyalty is they're loyal to you as long as it works for them. And then when it ceases to be convenient for them, then their loyalty is gone. Somebody help me. Don't shout me down now. You don't join this. You recognize that God has joined you. If you join, you can get mad and unjoined. There have been a lot of times I've been and wanted to unjoin. I've had, let me just tell you right now. Can I, can I set the record straight? We were offered a church in, in, in Stellenbosch, South Africa. Lord, it's the wine capital. It's the, it's the stinking Garden of Eden of the earth. Wanted to go. Didn't nobody around here know anything about it. And we're all talking about it and excited about it. And the Lord said, that's not where I've called you. And I said, man, it just I hate it when that happens. <laughs> If you don't think there have been a few times I've wanted to unjoin this thing. But 28 years I've been here. Now, I'm not preaching glory to Michael, but I'm going to tell you there's something to be said for persistence. There's something to be said for perseverance. 
Right now in this city, I have been here longer than any other preacher in this city other than Gary Harris sitting right over there at Calvary Baptist Church and he's only got me beat by about six months. Because it's just the order of the day that people move in and out every 18 months, two years and congregation gets itchy and somebody calls a confidence vote and they kick the pastor out and send out a war team, send out a, a search team trying to rob another church where a pastor's doing a great job and has heard from God to be there, but oh, they're going to offer him a bigger salary and all of a sudden he, gets, he hears from God that the Lord's calling him somewhere else. I'll leave that solish system alone. If I offended you, just forgive me and get over it. If you know God joined you, you have to treat the relationships with a different kind of respect. What God has joined together, let not man separate. You know what? Man's going to try to get up in the middle of it and separate it. And you know the devil's going to. We're called to participate in communion and fellowship and partnership with something that is larger than we are individually. Number five. I think I can finish this today. Number five. Covenantal relationships are built on the foundation of love, commitment, and loyalty. Covenantal relationships are built on the foundation of love, commitment, and loyalty. This isn't a one-sided commitment. Over the years I've encountered people who have expected me to be all in, but then they've been bidding out their commitment at the lowest cost. How many of you know if this thing's going to work, everybody's all in? We're not all in for Michael, we're all in for Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not about me, it's all in for Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. How that's expressed in the local church is how you treat the delegate God has put in front of you. That means you, if, if, if you're here and you can't stand the way we're doing things and you don't like me, bless God, that means you're not in the right place. Because I'm the one who God's put here. Are you hearing me this morning? You can't build with someone who's trying to bid out his commitment at the lowest price. And that's what's broken my heart in the past when I've, I, I've opened opened the place and made room and created space for people to begin to express and, and help their ministry mature and then only to find out that, you know what, I was, I was loving and giving to a much greater extent than that the others have. And, and, and only to, to, to sense the betrayal and the rejection and the brokenness and just go, God, what is this about? And, and you know what, it's made me back up and go, I'm going to have to make sure from now on that anybody that I'm covenant with to that degree, we, we, we have an understanding, we in, we all in. We're not playing. And that means we're all in when it gets inconvenient. It means we're all in when we have to work through some issues. Come on, somebody, if you stay married longer than a couple of years, you're going to work through some issues. Love is a covenantal decision. It's not a feeling. Commitment is a follow-through when it's not convenient. Loyalty is non-negotiable. If our commitment isn't true behind the back as well as in the face, then we're just smooth liars. What is it, the R&B song? We're just smooth, smooth operators. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Psalm 78, verses 9 and 10, the New Living Translation says, The warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. I don't care how skilled or how gifted you are. If you can't make a commitment and come alongside and say, you've got my back, and keep the commitment, and I say, I've got your back, and you take all your skills because you just tuck tail and run on the day of battle, you're worthless. I can't build with that. The Lord can't build with that. It's quiet in here this morning, and this is the kind of message that doesn't grow the congregation. It probably, it probably pulls a few folks out, but that's okay because we can have a Sagittarius revival, and we can see God do some awesome things. 
Are you hearing me? Look, listen to this. The warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his instructions. Gifted people. Influential. The ability to move. Strength. Talent. Scripture just says that they were men of great skill with the, with, as archers with the bow. But yet, they didn't have the fortitude to stand when it got tough. Well, you know, when, when, when the going gets tough, the tough are, are supposed to get going. They're not supposed to run off. They're not supposed to flee. Come on, somebody say amen this morning. Number six, we will, we will encounter the geography of offense. Adullam is easily accessible. Hebron is a little tiny path. I'm going to get scratched by some briars and some thorn bushes because this thing's grown up and the price it's going to cost me to get up into that place to, to make David the, the king over Judah in my praise and to be committed to praise and, and to realize how important the presence of God is in that. It, people love the idea of covenant, but they fall out with the hard relational work of walking it out and maintaining it because they don't have any skin in the game. How I many you know you've got to have some skin in the game? If you're married to somebody and you're all in and you find out that he or she is not, they're about 35, 50% in, how many know that thing's not going to last? you got a partnership with somebody in a business and you're all in and you find out that they're just sort of bidding out their commitment at the lowest cost, that thing's doomed. You can't build with that. It won't last. Marriages work. Hey, how about that? Nobody shouted. Everybody say, marriages work. Now, you know what? This, this doesn't have anybody swinging from the chandeliers this morning. Thank God we don't have any in here. But, but, but how many of you know I'm preaching real good this today? Because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you learn to walk as a kingdom person. This is where you learn to have commitment. You learn to show up when you don't feel like it. I texted in this morning. I said, guys, I can't be there. I'm, I've got I'm some, some stomach issues. And just going and warm up, I won't be there. I won't be there late 30. But you know what? I made it in today. Uh, there haven't been a few times that I've, I've called in and said, I can't be here. And, and once in a while you have to because you just know you, it's better for you to stay in the bed. Sometimes it's better for everybody else for you to stay in the bed. <laughs> Marriages work. It's inconvenience. It's, a, it's, an, it's an equal opportunity offender. I love that woman more than the air I breathe, but nobody has the ability to get under my skin as quick, quickly, she has, I'm going to tell you, she's got a remote of my buttons. But I know that 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 I know. After 35 years of relationship, 30 years of marriage, 35 of friendship, 30 years of marriage. Come hell or high water, I'll take her word any day. I know she's with me. I know she's a woman of God. Relationships that last are no less inconvenient and offensive. If you're looking to not never be inconvenienced or offended, then you need to just get off the grid and go build Alaska somewhere. Watch that HTVT show and go build you a cabin in Alaska. Live as a hermit. Come on, saints. The church isn't a bless me club. We are at war. Covenant is costly. There is a kingdom to be built. There's, there are battles to be fought. There are spiritual generations to beget. There are spiritual babies to be born. Number seven, and I'm finished today. The people of Judah were the first. Everybody say the first. They were the first to recognize and to realize. Everybody say recognize. And I say realize. They saw something in David, but then they took action to make that come about. 
the men of Judah went up to Hebron and they cut a covenant and they made David the king of Judah. Judah's the tribe, the lion, the, the praise. Listen to this. Let me finish. I will never apologize. I had to wrestle it down here a few years ago. I will never apologize for my commitment to the pursuit of his manifest presence. Because people show up here and they go, I don't know what it is, but it's different. There are plenty of places, and this morning I'm not, I, I, I don't have any church in mind, but there are plenty of places that you can go through the motions and you can have you a nice country club experience. And everybody except God shows up. But I'm not interested in that. I want a place where I don't care if we're on our faces. I don't care if we're singing or shouting. I want a place where I know that the presence of God has come and He has touched us. The Bible says He abides in the praises of His people. And if His people show up and we praise Him, He is supposed to show up. Knowing who you are, I will never apologize. Knowing who you are has every bearing on understanding why you are here and what you're called to do. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. I just know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not saying victory is any better than any other church. I just know what we are called to do. We are not to call to be like the other churches. God doesn't stutter. His, his program's not redundant. He's not made a bunch of cookie-cutter churches and Christians that are all supposed to exactly be the same. There were 12 tribes, and they all had unique giftings, and they were, all had different kinds of churches. The first church of Dan and the first church of Asher and the first church of Judah and the first church of Ephraim. And all these churches are great places to go to. When you find your tribe, you get in and you support and you, you, you give and you tithe and you offer and you sacrifice. You find your tribe and you find your family and, and, and quit thinking that your tribe is better than anybody else's because there are many tribes, but there's only one covenant nation of Israel. Talking about the church of Jesus Christ. I will not apologize. We are a Judah church. We're, we're Judah. We're, we're, we're a praising church. It's about music. It's about worship. And it's loud. Just go on and get over it. Because we're trying to reach a youth culture. There are plenty of places where there's nothing but a sea of blue hair left. If that offends you, I'm sorry, but let's honest to God tell the truth. Everybody there is 70 and up and it's dying on the vine and there are no young people that are showing up and getting saved and their lives being transformed. And if we're going to do something to reach a generation, we're going to have to, let me tell you, we're already doing stuff I don't like to do, but I'm not doing it for me. Amen. Let me finish. Judah was always sent first when the camp moved. When the battle ensued, the praisers went out in front of the army. Judah went into battle first. Judah's on the cutting edge of change and transition. It embraces the new thing that is the God thing. It, it sees, it recognizes and realizes David is king first. I looked, I googled the top 25 worship songs of 2015 last year, the end of the year. And the crazy thing is I looked down through them and 21 of the 25 songs that were on that top 25 worship list in the whole country, we'd already quit singing two years ago. So by the time it gets popular with the rest of the body of Christ, we've already moved on. Now, it doesn't mean we're better. It just means God has called us to something that is fresh. He's called us to something that is new. doesn't mean that we don't go back and sing old things. But I want you to realize, you, you go Google that and check it out yourself. Everything that is now touching the whole body of Christ, we were singing two or three years ago. 
know what? If you can get on, on board with that awareness of a prophetic touching the presence of God, that literally it could raise the expectation and the faith level in this place for God to do miraculous things like we've never seen before. Those with an understanding of the ministry of praise have a sensitivity to the presence of God that others don't, don't have. I had folks trying to argue with me here a few years ago about the presence of God, and I just said, I'm sorry, that's, that's not ever going to change. As long as God's called me here to lead, we will actively, pers- relentlessly pursue the manifest presence of God. Are you, have you got anything out of this this morning? Come on, Ben, come, come, to, the, come to the keyboard right now. Let's never stop being dependent on God. Let's respond to the upward call to us together. We're not just together in the moment, but here and now we are together in covenant throughout the ages for God's kingdom purpose. With Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, Rachel and Leah. Number four, let's recognize the joining God has done and guard the covenant he has bound us together in. Let this be the binding friendship place where we're loyal to Jesus and we're loyal to each other. We don't just critique and criticize and tear down and constantly being negative. Let me just say something. I want to say somebody's negative all the time. We need to back up and realize that person's been wounded because they've got a distorted view of life and we need to help them get healed because you, you, you can't be an active participant in the army, in the battle, when everything you're always doing is just criticizing how somebody else does what they do. Y'all don't shout me down now. Number five, we respond by building in love and commitment and loyalty to Jesus. That's our heavenly David. And loyalty and commitment and love to each other. Number six, we must enter with eyes wide open realizing that inconvenience and offenses come. How we learn to deal with them is the mark of our maturity. I'm going to get offended. I'm going to be offended. I'm going to get inconvenienced. Because that's what it means in having relationships. Because other people have problems and it's not always convenient on my timetable when they need me to come alongside them or need us. We're called to be a people of praise, not only in lifted hands and robust voices, but lifted vision to the greatness of God's kingdom that is first recognized and realized in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now I'm about a minute or two over this morning and I want to wrap up right now. I don't know what you need, whether it's a fresh commitment to, the, to dependence on God where that you hear God calling you up to something higher and calling you together with the people who've caught a vision in this church 28 years in this city over 20 in this space right here we will see the fruit of labor in ground being broken and a new building being raised up in faith out of property that we had paid for since the end of 2010 we will see that happen in 2016 because we've not quit because we continuously go back and find our dependence on God because this is bigger than us it's bigger than me it's bigger than the first and the second service combined it's bigger than our skill it's bigger than our talent and we realize that God has joined us to this it's not something that I joined and I can get mad and unjoined I realize God is doing a new thing in this thing called Victory Church it's different unlike anything else it means I've got to learn how to walk and grow and forgive and love and be committed and be loyal to the Lord and loyal to my brothers and sisters because the only way David is going to realize the only way Jesus is going to realize 
what he's called to do over this region is for us to do what David's men did. And that's bind together and realize and recognize he's king. Do you see that? Bow your heads with me, please, this morning.